action. Welcome to Torn Stubs, a trash movie podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and head of podcast at Trash, which can be found at movetotrash.co.uk and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. End of Watch, written and directed by David Ayer, stars Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Peña as two LA cops driving the beat. Scenes of them discovering various drug dens and human traffic rings are intercut with them bonding as close friends in the patrol car. Soon, word reaches the cartels in Mexico that they are interfering too much, and as the boys' lives develop and flourish with wives and babies, danger lurks around the corner. I think I'm being quite generous with that description. It, <laughs> it kind of makes it seem like there's a straightforward, even-paced, actual narrative to this film. But really, it more so leans in the direction of a character-driven observation piece. Yeah, it um, it it kind of it follows them on the beat, doesn't it? It's essentially kind of it's a very steady build of dread. It's almost like a horror film at points because you know you you are seeing these two guys, Brian and Mike, played by Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pena, um, and you're just kind of seeing their everyday lives as cops. They are obviously in a kind of a very poor area of LA yeah which and poor you know often means uh high crime yes um and so you're kind of yeah you're watching them and then you're seeing other cops being stabbed and shot through the eye was horrible through the eye yeah and do you know who that was yeah it's um Mr what's his face from Stranger Things yeah but he's the new Hellboy as well is he yeah Ah. Yeah. I didn't give a fuck about Hellboy Uh, (laughs) but you um you see, you watch them and you, you start to think, oh God, like surely statistically it's only a matter of time before something horrific happens to these yes. guys as well. So it basically just kind of, it threads this idea that the Mexican cartels are kind of, are closing in on our heroes. Um, but it's, that's not really the narrative. The narrative is these characters, their lives, um, you know, it jumps, I, I think it's, what is it, a period of about six months no, it's got to be longer than that. Because if you go by the dashboard, the very first date that comes up on the dashboard is April 11th, 2011. Yeah. And I think the last date is somewhere around September, October time. Oh, I thought it was so, years. No, I think it's like a re- really quite short period. They get married and they have babies. Yeah, but I mean, they're young. They're just, they're young and crazy. They're young. And that's the biggest thing for me. Because the film opens with this dashboard chase. The cam is just on the dashboard. And then they get out. We remain in the car, so to speak. We are the dashboard camera. And Jake shoots someone. And you think, macho cop. But they're just kids. Because yeah. the next shot is him doing like a little piece of camera in his locker to his... It's my art project or whatever. It's his film project that he's doing. Part of uni or some shit. And there's a real contrast between... They're, they're kids, but doing an adult's job. Yeah, that's really true, actually. They're just guys. They're just young guys. They're just young lads, lads, lads. Yeah, exactly. They, they, they're like messing around in the, what is it, like the cloakroom or the yeah, changing the locker room? room yeah. Locker room, yeah. Um, yeah, and but yet they're going out onto the streets and they're, you know, confronting really dangerous murderers, um, you know, criminals, awful people. Um, and you do fear for them, don't you? You kind of think shit, like, 
I don't want anything bad to happen to these guys. At the same time, there's certain things in this film that I found troubling. Um, particularly the kind of... I know that they are being confronted with people with guns um, and people who aren't necessarily going to think twice about shooting a cop. Yeah. But at the same time, it's almost like they their immediate fallback is violence. The cops, the first thing they think is violence. Like they shoot or they beat people up. But that's always been the American... Yeah, I've oh, got gotcha. enforcement way, hasn't it? No, I think well, that's what we're told by movies, right? But um, I don't know. I, I especially felt it at the end because I thought, has justice really been done here? When so the very end of the film, spoilers. One of the so Michael Pena's character dies, and you think that Jake Gyllenhaal's character yeah. is dead as well, and then these drug Mexican drug cartel characters they run off down the alley, and then they're basically kind of shredded to pieces by the backup law enforcement. Yeah. And you just think... And not just shredded up, but like <clears throat> Sonny at the, the toll booth in Godfather or yeah. Bonnie and Clyde, they are obliterated. Shot to pieces. Yeah. And you just think, is that justice? Is that really... Is that doing anything good for these guys, these police officers who've just been killed? I don't think it did. I think justice is making them pay for their crimes in a way that doesn't give them a get out. You know, you just, just kill them. <laughs> yeah. But um, America's always been like that. Look how they, they went after Osama bin Laden and, and murdered him mm. when he should have been brought to trial. Yeah, it's the whole eye for an eye justice thing, isn't it? It's like, you shoot me, I'm going to fucking shoot you even more. It's that... Do you think that's the... Do you think that's the filmmaker taking that stand? I don't know. Well, I don't know because I haven't... I've never lived in America and I've never witnessed any kind of crime like that at all. So I don't really know how it is in everyday life. But just by looking but, at how the film is presented, how that final shootout... Yeah, it's presented as victorious, isn't it? It's presented, it's presented as, like a fucking music video. Yeah, it, it's kind of like, hooray, we got them at the... You know, we finally got them. Yeah. These like kind of almost supernatural drug dealer killers. They are now dead and we are now safe. And it's not actually as simple as that at all. No. Um, but I don't know, is the film... Is the film really glorifying it? I couldn't really tell. Or is it just kind of saying this is what does happen? Because that's what the film seems to be doing for the most part is attempting to portray a realistic version of like a buddy cop film. It's like this is like the dark. You darkest... literally took the words out <laughs> of my mouth. Because I was thinking there's a long history in in film of, of buddy cop movies. And, yeah. you know, Lethal Weapon is probably the one that everyone thinks of the most. And there's yeah. been a couple along the way, 48 Hours, Cop Out, my yeah. God. Yeah. Um, a couple, uh, the other guys, and going back, you know, even even further, the French Connection. Mm. So there's been buddy cop movies, and they all are very gun-ho. One of them's usually a bit slow and podgy. The other one's usually a bit super cop. Yeah. Mel Gibson is a super cop. Danny Glover is not. <laughs> He's too old for that shit. He's too old for that shit. But in this one, because I think it's got a documentary feel, even though it feels like a documentary, it has the same opinions about it all as as those ones, as Lethal Weapon. Yeah, and what in terms of kind of blockbuster mentality of get the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's still very cut and dry. You know, there's no there's no cops. You know, you are either good or bad. There's no cops with grey areas in this. There's cops that they don't 
like mm. you know ugly betty's in this yeah she was great she was this. brilliant like, almost unrecognizable yeah she's um, so good but you know you know david harper david yeah. harbour harbour, harbour yeah. you know he's not liked by jake gyllenhaal in this film no but they because were still... he well because he kind of represents the really kind of traditional stereotypical you know clean i'm gonna tell sarge yeah like clean cut strong jawed kind of cop guy but he's still a cop so it's quite binary they will side with him against the bad guys mm, yeah they will come to his rescue when he gets stabbed in the eye yeah it's such a weird film as well where people just don't seem to like each other and also there's just kind of there's there's an interesting kind of line in kind of respect so it's like the criminals and the police have this real mutual lack of respect like disrespect for each other yeah like the, the cops don't go in ever assuming that somebody isn't a mass murderer yes and the criminals will always assume that the cops are going to beat the shit out of them no matter what so it's like this really uneasy relationship that they have even when um Michael Peña is talking to that guy that he beat the shit out of earlier. He has the gun on him underneath the car window. And um, even though he's saying, I respect you yeah. because you didn't dob me in yeah. for having that fight with you. He's still like, this is dangerous. And yeah. I think that it makes it feel more like kind of like gangland kind of, there are no rules here kind of thing. It's like, we just basically, we're all going to just kill each other until there's none of us left is what it feels like. It's like, there isn't, there is, is no... Is that not- is that not what they're doing anyway? Well, I guess so. I don't know. I did start looking up statistics on um, kind of um, fatalities within the police and then, um, you know, police um, brutality figures as well. But yeah. I just, it was too depressing, so I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, um, a balance of power and abuse that I think is really troubling in, in the film. They act and this is generally within the police in this film so Jake and Michael characters will act all the big I am with the bad guys but as soon as some homicide detectives turn up they turn into little boys again oh yeah that's true yeah there's always a bigger fish there's always a bigger fish and I think if if they're being treated in that way almost bullied it's workplace bullying Mm. you know if you worked in an accountant firm and your manager or a manager from another department spoke to you in that way, you would then be up in, you know, you would, you'd be able to report that person to HR. <laughs> but because it's within the police force. Yeah. I, it, there's, it, from what I understand from this, what I get from this film, you've got to suck it up. But then that creates a real tension within yourself. And then you take it out on the person who's below you. Yeah. Or perceived as below you. And that's the criminal. Yeah, that's true, actually. Or the perceived criminal. Yeah. The nice, the nicety never goes down, it only goes up. Yeah. You know, you're only nice to the person above you because you don't want them shitting on you. Yeah. But I wonder if it's because it all comes back to guns and how you basically just have to assume that everybody you meet is armed. And if, you're, and if you say it's the police, they've got a gun, they are going to shoot you. I think it's to do with alpha male and that bullish lads 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 culture that is always so prevalent in in military and and law enforcement yeah it's an insecurity they never want to be seen as having no power Mm. and yet that actually is interesting because there is a scene where jake gyllenhaal's character says that he would go down on 
one of the other cops if he asked me or something. And that's the one moment where Michael Pena's character is like, you got to tell me the truth. I got to know the truth. I got to know the truth. Because <laughs> he's then, taking the piss. Yeah. And it's like, and then, but they have to have Jake Gyllenhaal kind of laugh and let him know that he's not queer. Yeah. And it's like, for fuck's sake, can you not just make a gay joke and just leave it as a funny gay joke? But it's an insecurity. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I've known many people from school who just could not joke about yeah. anything remotely to do with gay. It's been they seen as a weakness. They would have to completely reaffirm their heterosexuality. Yeah. It's ridiculous. There's a real family thread throughout this film. Yeah. All these different fractions well, actually, are families. It's it's more like a cult, I think, than than family. Explain, elaborate. Well, the fact that when he gets married, when Jake's character gets married, all the cops in the world come to his wedding, including like these young cadets who don't even really know who he is. And then when he has the, the funeral for Michael Pena's character, all the police are there as well. Yeah. And it's like this weird cult thing where if you're in the police... You know, we take we take care of our own. You're my brother. You're my brother. It's a thin blue line. Yeah, it's yeah. it's like this weird thing where it's us and them, and you know we are now institutionalized together, no matter what. But do you not think the gangs have that as well? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just the gangs as in one collective thing. There's many different gangs, and they'll fight amongst themselves and fight the police. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the gangs will shoot each other, but the cops won't shoot each other. But um, that's maybe the only difference between the two. But um, then in the middle of all that, you've got two young cops starting a family, yeah. getting married and having babies. Yeah, and that stuff is really well-handled, actually, I think, because that stuff could be um, like really cringeworthy and sentimental. But I think it actually works really well, and I think that's because of how great the actors are and how great... Like, the entire cast is amazing. Like, um, is it Natalie Martinez who plays Gabby, Michael Pena's wife? She's really good in it. And she plays so many really big emotional moments. You know, there's that hilarious bit at the wedding where she's absolutely trashed and she's talking about all the things that he <laughs> likes in bed. And But then at the end, she's in the funeral mm. and she's just there rocking her baby and just tears on her face. And she does such an amazing job with a role that could have been this awful throwaway terrible role yeah um and then obviously anna kendrick is great in it as well because that's she's just... her name <laughs> the twilight girl i kept thinking kendrick lamar but that's not right no and she's great as well she's really good in it that dance scene was brilliant at their wedding oh, so cringe like <laughs> it... i hate videos like that when i see on, but it's on meant YouTube. to be cringe i know it's meant to be cringe and they're not kind of even though it's they're meant to be cringe in... doesn't make it not cringe no i know no but it's not like they tried to do a really good job as well. Yeah. They could have they could have ended up like Glee or something where they're just suddenly amazing performers, but they were actually shit enough that you believed that they were doing it for real. <laughs> could you imagine if, if the bad guys that they bully saw Jake do that dance yeah. or Jake's character do that dance? They wouldn't like that. So it's weird that there's these, these two sides to their character yeah. where with their girlfriends and their wives and their family... They are one person. And then when they're on the street, they're a completely different person. Yeah. How do they, how do you find the balance? When yeah. does one switch off and when does one switch on? And that happens again at the very end when Mike is cradling Brian, who's just been shot in the alley. Mm. And Brian is, Jake's character, Brian is kind of crying his eyes out and like really obviously just emotionally distraught that he's about to die. And Mike says something like, oh, it's okay to do that now. You can do that now. You can do that now. And it's like, okay, so you're only allowed to cry when you're literally dying. <laughs> okay, that's healthy. 
I hate found footage movies. I was going to ask you about that because this isn't a found footage. No, film. it's not. And it I was cheats. when I was watching it. You know when it when it first opened and you've got a lot of different cameras and the cameras are in the story, so the film is fully aware and the characters are fully aware that these bits are being pieced together from this lens and this lens and this lens. Mm. I was thinking, I don't know if I can watch this whole thing if this is what it's going to be because. The like, found footage format will always run out of steam before the movie does. Well, it runs out of steam after five minutes because yeah. the first five minutes is that great um, dashboard shot where it kind of is them chasing a car and then they catch the car and then they get out and they shoot the guys. And that's a really dramatic, well, like a good use of found footage style. But then it shooting. switches to Jake with his little Panasonic flip yeah. cam and also introducing, oh, look at these. Like Michael Peña has never seen one of these. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've got you a chest cam. What's this? Well, if you look here and look here, it's like, he's a policeman. He knows about chest cams. It's 2011. People know what these things <laughs> yeah. are. Yeah. I was thinking if this is, if this is what it is, I'm not going to be able to get through this film in, in one but, sitting. But it abandons it. As soon as they go in for their briefing with the oh, rest of the cops, it's gone. there's like 20 unfeasible angles that yeah. aren't from but it's sources very you know subtle about. isn't it yeah because you think because it's, it's not like it's a the quality of the, of the cameras don't alter that no. much um and the, the the camera overall has has quite a documentary feel to it so there's not much difference between you know the social camera that jake is using and the actual invisible camera that the filmmakers are using so it's very subtle and it, it kind of it doesn't jar it eases in very very smoothly yeah because i think the first time i saw this was when it actually when it was released in 2011 and um i didn't notice at all really <laughs> i know i just wasn't obviously i think i was so gripped by the characters that i just didn't really th even think about what the source of the footage was because we, we were told oh look here's a dashboard camera yeah he's carrying around this one they've got their chest things and i just kind of accepted that mindlessly um but then i only realized after i'd watched it that first time i was like hang on a minute <laughs> wait how did they get all those other shots and i was like oh they cheated they cheated but thank god they did i'm glad they did because chronicles that that's a great film but they did have to really, really contort themselves to get the angles I mean, they wanted. It, it, it collapses under its own weight by yeah. the end of it. And yeah. this one almost, almost did later on when the one of the cartel girls has a camera and she's filming the shootout. And yeah. really, if you're being shot out or you're involved in a shootout, you wouldn't be filming. Why are you filming? Yeah. There was no need. There was no reason for it. Yeah. And in black and white, just so you can dis discern that it's a different person yeah. filming and stuff. And when they switch to a night vision yeah. camera of some organization within the American government filming some cartels saying it's two beat cops, we need to get the beat cops, however much it costs, get them. That felt, it just felt crowbarred in because it was like a, a quick minute and a half and then we got back to the story. And that was weird as well, because they suddenly decided that they should explain how they've got that specific bit of footage. And they explained it by making it look like he was being watched by, you know, the FBI or something. Yeah. Or, and it's like, OK, why have you decided that one bit needs we need to know where that source from when the other bits of footage are just kind of arbitrarily. And why would the organization not alert? Yeah. The, the cops Frank Grillo and be like Frank you better watch your boys because there's a there's a hit on 
I didn't think that they were doing anything that warranted a hit. I think they were slightly. They were kind of they were breaking procedure, um, and that's why they that's why they got crashed by the guys who you know the bigger fish, um, because they were like they recognized a house or they recognized something. So they went in to bust that house when they actually shouldn't have. Yeah. They, you know, they had direct orders not to do that, but they did it anyway. So I think they were, the cartel were trying to stop them doing that kind of but thing. But it's not like they were doing enough. And no, you know, the film has this kind of random and rambling monotony in the sense that when you are a policeman, you're just in the car and you go to that job and that job and that call and that call. Usually, the calls are not that linked, but mm. every time they did something, it was seemingly linked, but they kind of stumbled onto this case. Everything was linked through one cartel. That was a bit of a stretch yeah, it for was. me. And it kind of, it's at odds and it's, it's quite jarring with the documentary feel. That's true, but they were just working in one neighborhood. So you would expect them to be somewhat linked anyway. Well, it's a big neighborhood. It's the whole south side yeah, isn't it yeah i guess yeah i don't know i guess that they pulled at one thread and that's why they you know pulled the whole jumper apart it, it's, <laughs> it, it's the choice of the filmmaker it's just it's just it's just bizarre that the you know the form the documentary feel is at odds with what we're actually seeing yeah because it's not a documentary is it it's a it's a narrative fiction film yeah but they don't quite go together yeah. And I think that's where it's at its weakest. Where it's at its strongest is the relationship between Jake and Michael. Yeah. Definitely. Those two actors on screen are phenomenal. And I get the idea that they put them in the car, they turned the cameras on, they knew some marks they had to hit, but then it was just a case of improvising. Yeah. And there was, they're so good in this. And apparently when they first met, they didn't really get on. But I totally believe that because... They kind of are chalk and cheese. Yeah. Like Michael Pena is this really kind of um, scattershot, hilarious, kind of slightly over the top kind of guy. And Jake Gyllenhaal is like pure Mr. Business. He's yeah. like, he grew up in the industry. He is unwaveringly polite and like this put together guy mm. who, you know, you'll, you'll never get a whiff of controversy from him because he's Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, so shoving them together is like, you know, gunpowder and a flame. It's just kind of... <laughs> Um, and it works brilliantly. That's it what works you want. Amazingly. That's what you want with from a, a buddy cop film. Yeah, <laughs> that magic and a. Well, you want them to be cops, a yeah. buddy. Yeah. You want them to be friendly, but you need that. You need them to butt heads. Yeah. Because you need the drama. Yeah, exactly. And they they perfectly brought it. Yeah. I completely bought that they were great mates and they were bonding and they were becoming closer and closer as the film went on. I love the fact that they bicker. Yeah. And they take the piss out of each other. Yeah. And I love that. You know, someone t at, at one point, Jake, I think, genuinely flubbed his line for real <laughs> when he was saying es, es Spanish, when he should have said España. <laughs> so Michael Pena picked up on that and joked. And I, th I read it as that Jake broke character for a second because he laughed and he put himself back in yeah. character and it just works because it's perfect. Yeah. Because you just buy that moment. I, um, I have to share this because I just thought it was just so funny. You know how on... Um imdb biographies they have like lists of things for actors so they've got like their vital stats and their like their quotes about things and all yeah. that kind of stuff and then they have a section called trademark 
And the trademark, the list for trademark on Jake Gyllenhaal, I just thought was brilliant. Um, because it starts off quite normal, smooth voice, athletic and proportional body, mm-hmm. beauty spot on the left cheek, <laughs> oval shaped handsome face. Mm-hmm. His smile makes dimples. As young as age 20, he has often played a character whose fiancé or wife is killed at the beginning of the film. Oh. Sometimes she is specifically the collateral victim of gun violence aimed at someone else. So like, who writes this stuff? What film are they talking about? But the last one is friendly and polite demeanor, which is kind of what you think about when you think yeah. about Jake Gyllenhaal, isn't it? But this was like a real... This was the year that he did... Um, no, Jarhead was, was, the, was 2005 when he like shaved his head off and he became yes. really buff. Yes. Like 2005 was, was his big year. Yeah, because he did Brokeback as well. Yeah, Brokeback. So he said proof. that Ang Lee and Sam... Sam Mendes. Mendes changed yeah. his life. Yeah, absolutely. Really, I think Richard Kelly changed his life. Oh, well, yeah, there's that yeah, as well. Because before that, he was doing shit like Bubble Boy. Oh, yeah. And yeah. like just being bit parts in his dad's films and yeah. stuff like that. But I think, I feel like this film is him as a proper grown-up kind of really act really kind of flying on the top level do you think without this we wouldn't get nightcrawler i think so because he really proved that he could um dedicate himself to a role physically and kind of emotionally immersively as well yeah, like, like he was running around with the cops for real for like months yeah five months he he witnessed a drive-by shooting during his um his kind of training period um yeah he really went for it and like i actually think I really feel like he's one of the most consistently brilliant actors oh, of 100%, our generation. A hundred of his generation as well. Well, yeah. he's the same age as us. But un- <clears throat> undoubtedly, I'm always gobsmacked that he's always snubbed for yeah. awards. When Nightcrawler came out, I was thinking this is a surefire hit. He is going to win an Oscar for this, and he didn't even get a nomination. Yeah, proof again that the Oscars don't know what they're talking they about. They don't know and shit. And it is a shitty TV show. Yeah, Nothing but, more. But also Nightcrawler is not an uplifting period drama. So there's no way that he would have been nominated for that. Like Michael Fassbender didn't get nom- nominated for Shame, which is just ridiculous. What a shame. Uh, I know, what a shame. <laughs> Great for us, shame for him. Um, but yeah, like things like Prisoners, your favourite film, Enemy. Yeah. Um, Nocturnal Animals. He's just, he's really, really good. I just don't feel like he's... Because he's not showy. He's not a film star. He's not a show-off, yeah. He is a fucking phenomenal actor. Yeah, he is. And I, you know, I don't think anyone should make a a creative endeavour or do something creative for plaudits and for awards. Mm. His greatest award and his greatest legacy is to look back and go look at all that fucking fantastic work i did yeah and my big fat house in beverly hills but look at all that yeah. fucking, <laughs> look at all that fucking work i did yeah because he, he's like leonardo he's like leonardo dicaprio he doesn't make a bad <clears throat> film he doesn't give a bad performance yeah even in that film brothers which i just thought was a bit blah he's actually good in it but that's the one that he did with um with mark Wahlberg, thingy mcguire Toby Maguire. Toby Maguire. Oh yeah, yeah. One comes back from the war. Yeah, yeah. And he's like okay. shacked up with the wife with Natalie Portman. It's based on I... a Danish film. Okay, I don't think I've seen um, that. Yeah. One thing that I will say about this film, it is not okay, and filmmakers need to learn this. It is not okay to put kids in certain situations just because it fits in your script. It is not okay to duct tape. 
oh, an yeah. 18-month-old and a three-year-old and expect the kids to be okay. That 18-month-old yeah. was terrified. That was horrific. Adults understand. It's make-believe, but kids don't. Yeah. Possibly you could push that that kid who was like three got it. You cannot argue that that the 18-month-old knows what the fuck is going on. That kid no. is terrified. And the sooner laws are brought in, tighter laws, because they're, mm. clearly, they're clearly acting within existing laws. Otherwise, yeah. it wouldn't be able to get away with it. It's just wrong. You could see it. It's, yeah, it was really harrowing, because that scene is really harrowing anyway. Yeah. But then in that kid's eyes, it was just really quite haunting. This kid thought he was abandoned in the cupboard. <laughs> he was duct taped. Yeah. Hands, mouth. That's yeah. an 18-month-old kid. I know, yeah. Disgusting. <laughs> what do you think of David Ayer as a director? I've only seen um, Fury, I think. Okay. What else has he done? Done this, Fury. Well, before this, he did Harsh Times with uh, Christian Bale. Never heard of it. Which I've not seen. Okay. Then he did this. Then he did Fury after that, maybe? Yeah. Then it was Suicide Squad. Then it was bright. So I've seen Fury. I really, really liked it. <clears throat> oh, really? Because that's think, the one I want I think to watch and haven't. It's it's almost like a film. You know, you, like people go, oh, let's make a film that's set in one room. Yeah. It's a one room film, but it just happens that the room keeps moving because it's in a tank. Ah, clever. They have to get the tank from A to B. And it's like a brotherhood of... Uh, it's like a band of brothers type movie where they all bond and the different personalities and yeah. this, that and the other. And maybe one isn't as genuinely good as he first right. appeared. Um, mm. but it's just a, a genuinely great take on a war movie. Oh, cool. Um, this I loved. Um, end of watch. There was issues, but I yeah. genuinely loved it because the acting is so good yeah suicide squad i think is a case of a great film talent getting mixed up and spat out of a studio not understanding what they want and trying to chase something they were going for the guardians of the galaxy we need all the music in here film we need to uh, build a world super quick because marvel is fucking us in the mouth yeah i haven't seen bright it doesn't look particularly good. Alien Nation is my thing from oh, yeah. back in the day. I don't need to see Will Smith in something again. But the really bad, the really sad thing about Bright is that David Ayer, if anyone was going to make that film and do it well, it felt like David Ayer would because, again, it's a cop. It's a buddy cop thing. It just happened to have this kind of veneer of fantasy to it, which he had kind of done a little bit with Suicide Squad. And so it seemed like Bright would actually be a really interesting mesh of his comic book stuff and like end of watch it felt like it should have been end of watch with an orc instead of michael pena what's the style that bright is told in is it just a straightforward yeah so it's 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 almost like his personality is not there because there's a lot of personality in this as of 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 him as a filmmaker a visual storyteller and then in fury there's little less of that but there is still like a, a harsh bite to it yeah no bright the world was fantastic. The world that he built was really interesting. This kind of, this place where, um, you know, it played up the kind of idea of racial tension and um, within society and the police force. And it just kind of, it did like a Buffy, like the way Buffy took a, a real thing and made it into like a metaphor by using like an invisible girl or something like that. Yeah. Oh, so it's, it's That's what old school did. science fiction. Yeah, exactly. But it just did it so badly. Ah. 
Um, it but was. It's been, there's been another one. They're doing it, right? Yeah, they're doing another one. Oh dear. Yeah. What was the violence like in Bright? Oh, just fantasy. Because in this, it's really brutal and and realistic. It's and savage. I kept thinking of Heat, that realistic, rel- unrelenting gun sound. Yeah. In this, there's no there's no super cop bullshit of, you know, I'm going to run and not get shot. I'm going to punch the guy. I'm going to hit myself, but I'm going to have it's going to have no effect. You know, Jake Gyllenhaal gets squared, shot in the chest. Yeah. I, this this one made me think of Sicario because it's got that kind of grubby, dusty feel that Sicario had. Yes. And it's got that thing where... And Mexicans. Mexican people. <laughs> and it's got that thing where the the heroes don't necessarily know what the fuck is going on because there's other things at play. It's um, realistic. It's real. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, and it is gory and disgusting, you know, and they find that pit full of body parts that when oh, Jake Gyllenhaal yes. starts retching. Yeah. Um, but it's really upsetting and you don't really expect that because you you've been brought you've been raised on these cop buddy cop films where you know it's pretty safe I mean the Lethal Weapon did get really dark when Mel Gibson's playing with a gun and thinking about killing himself but that's in the first one that's in the first by one by the second one it yeah. was a comic book yeah exactly like, they fuck you with the drive through <laughs> and by the fourth it was just this weird buddy cop ninja thing going on like cartoon thing yeah. yeah but the first one's really quite brutal it opens with that that girl up on the on the oh, yeah. building and then she just jumps off and kills herself oh yeah shane black there's a reason he's called shane black mm, black heart black heart um but yeah this really what well, is shocking and it really shocked me the first time i saw it and the, you know i didn't rem- remember the specific of what those things were when I came to watch it again for the podcast. But I remembered this kind of like slightly ill, sick feeling about stuff that was in the film that just was not nice. <laughs> the emotional impact of this film really got me. So when they run in to save the people from the fire, I started welling up. And if I hadn't have held myself back, I could have just started bawling <laughs> and crying and crying and crying. What was it about that? Because I was so invested in those two yeah, that I thought, well, this is roughly about halfway through the turning point. Something has to happen here. And they'd already introduced the idea that Michael Pena was going to have a baby. So I already thought well, he's going to die. Mm. That's like a loaded gun. <laughs> yeah, He is going to die. Um, so I thought maybe this is when he's going to die. So the film's going to change. I don't want that dynamic to go. I don't want that character to die. And I kept thinking... What is the wife going to do? Mm. And later on... You're wedding up. (laughs) You're wedding up now. Later on, when they're both seemingly dead, again, I had to sort of hold it back. I was like, this is too much. We've been with these characters for the whole film, and now they are dead. And then I saw that Jake was still alive. So I was like, yay, Jake's alive, but we're at a funeral. So God, no, Michael Pena is dead. Would it have worked if they had both died? I reckon so, because, I mean, the only bit at the end that Jake was alive for was to be a little bit repressed at the funeral. You know, his wife was there and his friend's wife was there and he can be open and emotional with them, but he couldn't be emotional with with all the cops. He just said something along the lines of, he was my buddy, he was my friend, he was my brother. Yeah. And that was it. That's the that's his that was the extent of the eulogy that he gave. So that's the only 
emotional impact. That's the only emotional thing they're putting across at the end there. Yeah, because they did shoot an ending where they were both dead and they decided it was too much and they changed it. Neither ending changes what we just watched. No, it doesn't. Like a horror of it. Yeah, it just... The ending they've gone with reiterates that the police operates in this toxic masculinity. Yeah. And the... Even the women. Even the women buy into the the masculinity. Even, yeah. Ug, even Ugly Betty. Yeah, I wouldn't mess with Ugly Betty. No, she's <laughs> she's kind of like, I'm going to come for you, bitch, and all yeah. this kind of stuff. And, and, you know, when the other police woman's on the floor and she's had her face battered oh, in. Oh, God. And they're just like, rookies. Yeah, I know. Fuck her, rookies. She shouldn't have been out. On the, she wouldn't have passed her probation anyway. She shouldn't have been on the beat. Yeah. but you, but you really s- cold. But you see that rookie sort of before that in the film and she is like a dithering wreck she is like but, why is she doing this but she's been selected somehow yeah she's got through what three four five six months of training before being put out on the beat and then david harbour screwed her over yeah that bit oh my god that bit i just remembered so we find him in the street sitting there or kneeling kneeling there really calm in, with in a, shock really with a knife through his eyeball yeah but then when he's taken on to the back of the ambulance, all he can say is, they, they cut my, my fucking, fucking vest, vest off. <laughs> Not the eye. Forget about the eye. I think, the, yeah, the, the paramedics obviously took the vest off. Yeah. They took my but I wonder what, what, the ending with them both dead, what would the emotional beat be? Would it just be that the police would carry on, if all the police would just file out and go on with their day, another cop dead, but we need to get back to the job and then the wives are left to pick up the pieces on their own mm. there's like a almost like a sad inevitability that you don't see any old cops because there aren't any yeah. it's like mr mr crane in fraser he only got out because he got hit in, in a in a <laughs> shot in, he got shot, shot in the just leg. going to get pet, uh, milk wasn't it yeah yeah they end on a happy note though they do a pulp fiction they end they do. on them reunited in the car and i wonder was that put in because test audiences didn't want a downer or the studio were like, we need a happy ending. Well, it's not really happy. It's more poignant. It's just kind of, this is what they've lost. Well, it's happy in the sense that we're having a funny scene and the funny banter between the two. At the end of the film, they're both alive. Yeah. Which is what they do. They really didn't need that. The you day don't of, think? They didn't need, they, I think they needed the scene, but they didn't need the text that said the day of the shooting because that was just silly. Yeah. Um, but I liked the scene. I liked the, that they ended on that scene because that's the statement the film was making, which was it was about these two guys. And isn't it sad that they aren't going to be doing this anymore? I think it's not a, it's not an upper, it's a downer. Even though the joke is really funny. Who would you recommend this film to? Anyone who's having a really good day and then mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> I would recommend it generally if people were just like, I love Lethal Weapon. I'd be like, come and watch this. Because yeah. this is that format, but in a, in a more post nine eleven Jason Bourne, realistic, gritty environment. Because I think it would it wouldn't trick them, but they'd be lured into a false sense of security, and they'd be quite surprised at what this film has done with the body cop genre. Yeah, and I think that Tarantino fans would eat it up because early Tarantino. Yeah, because his his later stuff is as cartoony as Lethal Weapon. Definitely. So Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, if you're a fan of those two, you would love this film. Yeah. Um, but I think that you would have to kind of warn people this is the funniest film that's going to make you cry because it is really fucking funny, but it's also really fucking upsetting. 
So that was End of Watch, directed by David Ayer. 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 We're on Twitter. Are you? Give us a follow. We're at Torn Stubbs Pod. And if you fancy it, you could subscribe to us on the uh, Apple iTunes podcast thing. So you never miss an episode. If you like film, theatre, music, television and culture, head to movetotrash.co.uk. We're off to practice our wedding dance routine. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut. <laughs>